Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is always a great pleasure to catch up with this man. Always a fascinating listen, Scoob, um, with the lens that he looks through into the world of sport. Of course, he is a partner at major law firm Thompson Gear. His name is Justin Cool, great friend of the station. Morning, Quilly. Good morning, Sammy, Simon. Hope you guys are well. Great to have you on. Uh, we are well and hope you are too. Uh, a bit to talk to you about, actually. I, I thought of you when I read the story around Nick Kyrgios uh, over the weekend, and uh, this is something that's been coming uh, for a long time, of course. Uh, he did end up pleading guilty in the ACT Magistrates Court, a charge of, of common assault um, against his, his former girlfriend, Chiara Passari. Now, he ended up being um, let off in the end. It was dismissed, um, Quilly, despite the fact that he pled guilty. So I, I just, without getting bogged down in the minutiae of this case, as we say in the classics, what what actually has taken place here? Yeah, look, um, I, I must admit I was interested in the language dismissed because uh, back in the day when I was uh, at uni, dismissed meant the charges were thrown out. That is, you know, no, there was no guilty finding. Mm. Um, that's that's changed recently, and I, I actually went and did a bit of research. Can't say criminal law in the ACT is my specialty, so I went and had a had a good look into it the day it, the day it all unfolded. And there's a setup up there, it, it, pretty similar to down here in Victoria, similar to New South Wales, where by a, um, a magistrate can find a charge proven and it's nearly always when someone pleads guilty you know they they do the right thing and put their hand up and say okay I'm guilty then the magistrate can say look I'm going to let you off. And the charges, the word is dismissed, but there's still a guilty finding. Um, So it's not like uh, the magistrate threw this out and said, this didn't happen. Uh, This happened. He's guilty of it. He committed the offence. But the law says um, it's low level. It's not that serious. So we're not going to, you know, um, impose a conviction that will travel with you for the rest of your life. Now, if he does it again, uh, then then he would be very, very, very unlikely to be able to get that sort of dismissal again. And I did notice that his team clearly tried to argue that the the charge should be dismissed on the grounds of his mental health, but then that was withdrawn because the court found that he's not, uh, in their mind, currently suffering a significant depressive illness. So then that led to him pleading guilty in the in the aftermath of that. That's right. And look, I think the really interesting thing about this is going to be um, whether uh, the ATP do anything, uh, firstly. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, when you consider one of the Grand Slams is in the US and they have very, very strict visa laws, uh, if, and they don't ask, do you, did you, have you got a conviction? What they ask is, have you had a finding of guilt made against you? So Curios' mm. uh, team are going to have to think long and hard about how they... Uh, answer that and how they deal with that on his visa application uh, when he tries to go to the US for the US Open. Assume he's going to be there. Um, uh, I might say it's my birthday and I'm going over over uh, to the US <laughs> Open as a little aside. Um, but uh, but I think that's going to be uh, I think that's going to be um, a, a, a really really interesting thing. Uh, and uh, and of course we we saw Djokovic last year have visa problems. In the past, nobody really thought about visa issues for uh, elite sportsmen, but uh, you know, clearly it's an issue, and, and this might be an issue for him. Justin, really interesting in your thoughts. Uh, this morning, what's bobbed its head up is the banning of the AFL with 
um, within the Queenswood Girls School. Now, they don't play rugby either at the, at the school. I'm really interested to understand the ramifications of this ban. Do the AFL need to uh, in some way deal with this? Because I, I'm just saying that if, if these guys ban it, um, other schools are going to be pre- pressured to follow suit. And this you know, um, brain injury concussion discussion, it, it seems to be a long way from settling. How should this be handled? Look, I've got to say, Steve, I'm not. I'm really not across the, uh, you know, across the detail of that one at all. Um, but uh, just to pick up the one thing you did say there, which was, um, uh, you know, it's a long way from being settled. I think we're really just at the start of a, a start of this. The, mm. There's a whole there's a whole stack of knowledge that we have now that we didn't have, but we know that there's a whole stack of knowledge we don't have. And, uh, and, and until, you, until you get all the facts and the data, I mean, of course, you've got to make decisions along the way, but those decisions are rarely perfect if you don't have all the facts. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see this space develop uh, over, over coming years. But, yeah, that's, look, it's probably about as much as I can say. Um, I, I'm, I'm more in the dark than, uh, than most. Speaking to uh, partner of major law firm Thompson Gear, Quilly, uh, yesterday, 10 years to the day it was since Essendon self-reported, uh, of course, a story that rocked uh, Australian sport, not just uh, football, uh, their concerns about what their players are injected with 12 months prior. And, of course, the Essendon 34, so much has been written and said and heard of them in recent times. Now, it's in the news at the moment because, obviously, Administrative Appeals Tribunal in Brisbane is trying to rule on whether the, you know, the anti-doping agency documents related to that case will be released under FOI, Freedom of Information uh, Laws. Obviously, uh, SIA, Sport Integrity Australia, the AFL, Essendon are all trying to present or prevent the release, rather. I mean, it must take you back in time. You were right in the middle of it back then. I guess all the complexities around guiding us in the media about what we could and couldn't say and what we could and couldn't report, and, and it must bring it all back to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I lived and breathed this at the time. Uh, and it was, you know, most stories have a, uh, a shelf life of, you know, maybe a week, maybe a month or a couple of months. This is, here we are 10 years later, and there really hasn't much been, been much of a gap. We're still mm-hmm. talking about it. Uh, and, Sammy, you'll recall uh, back in the day, um, you know, I used to come down onto the news desk at the Herald Sun uh, most nights, and, yeah. uh, and, and I was sitting, literally sitting in between. Uh, I had Rubber on my right and had Mick Warner on my left, and and, uh, geez, I tell you what, if you ever want uh, curly legal questions and, uh, and you know, fast on-the-job training, that's, uh, that's the way to do it, sit between those two. But, look, yeah, it was – they were – they were they were heady times, you know. I mean, I went along to a lot of meetings with sources, with checking facts. It was it was tough. I've got to say the the thing that the two things that stick out to me about this, and the first is an absolute disgrace, and honestly, it gets me it gets me really riled up. Even mm. ten years later, the so called darkest day in Australian sport wasn't dark at all. It was a bunch of politicians effectively. Um, you know, shoehorning all our um, sports leaders into a room to announce this darkest day in Australian sport. And I think we all thought, oh, my God, you know, our our sports are all corrupted. Turns out it was absolutely nothing. I don't think, I'm pretty sure to say that there's there's been, as a result of that, that, um, those allegations, there's been no person charged with a criminal offence. You know, this is the corruption they talked about. And I think it was, if you think back at the time, the government were under pressure. Julia Gillard's leadership was 
under pressure in the weeks leading up to it. And there's a lot of speculation. I think there's something in this that they did that for a distraction. And that set off a chain of events. Now, I'm certainly not saying Essendon did, did nothing wrong. Clearly, there were issues there. And Stephen Dank is... Is uh, he's probably right right down at the bottom of my uh, list of uh, uh, people I have respect for. Um, he just obfuscated every you know every opportunity. He danced and 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 dodged every question he could. Um, so I I've got no time at all for him. But it all started with that. I think, really, um, just mm. totally false allegation of the darkest day in Australian sport. Did you have much to do with, with Stephen Dank, um, Quilly? Now, I read over the weekend, obviously, Mick Warner's story. Um, he's saying he was set up, of course, and that um, things have been tampered with and his phone was confiscated. And he's obviously long denied any use of Thymos and uh, Beta 4. He actually says um, in, in documents tended to the court that his texts were manipulated by <laughs> investigators. So I guess this... This speaks to everything you're talking back to a decade ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing that annoyed me the most is Dan kept saying the whole time, "I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll give the evidence mm. that'll clear the players." at the appropriate time. And he just sort of kept trotting out this line. And I was fine in the first week or two or even month or two. But as months uh, uh, went on, it was apparent he didn't have this evidence, he didn't have this proof, and he wasn't even really willing to subject himself to proper to proper scrutiny. He he only chose to speak on occasions uh, where you know um, he he had control, if you like, and he couldn't be couldn't be absolutely forced to answer questions. Uh, it, look, he sued the Herald Sun back in the day. Um, pretty pretty happy to say he withdrew the charge. Um, we uh, I got to sit opposite him at one point, and uh, it's one of the things in my career that I've uh, enjoyed the most because I uh, I got I got free reign. Um, nobody allowed to interrupt me and I just got to absolutely go to town on him. And, um, yeah, so, look, I, I, I won't and can't say what uh, what uh, what was spoken about, but, um, but look, it was uh, – they were heady times. They were, uh, I, I've, uh, I think on Mick Warner and uh, – and um, uh, Robbo's podcast uh, I've listened to is definitely worth a listen. Uh, those guys go through it in, you know, min, you know, the minutiae of it is is there in the podcast. And and Mick Warner says something like, you know, it was like the gangland days uh, where there was just another development every every mm. day. Something there was a different angle. There was something would happen, and then of course we had a little bit of crossover into gangland type stuff when uh, when Dank's house was shot up. So you know, if that wasn't a little uh, a little twist in the story, so yeah, look, it was uh, it was certainly very very interesting uh, interesting time. So just before we let you go, Quilly, obviously uh, Bruce Francis, the former Test cricketer, he's been the one that's been campaigning for the longest, and and he wants, as I said earlier, this information released under FOR, even though the the ninety nine point nine percent of the Essendon thirty four don't want it to see the light of day. I mean, can you what's going to happen here? Can you crystal ball this for us? Yeah, look, um, Bruce Francis is not an Essendon supporter, but he is someone who is passionate about this. And I, I recall back in the day getting a whole stack of emails 
from him, uh, and he's certainly passionate. I understand that he estimates he spent over twenty thousand hours uh, on this uh, on this case. I um, I actually, uh, for a bit of fun, uh, with Mick Warner on the phone uh, over the weekend, I actually um, uh, applied my usual charge out rate to uh, to twenty thousand hours. It was a it was a fair bit of, a fair bit of dough, boys. Um, <laughs> look, um, I think I think what's going to happen is, uh, unfortunately for Bruce, he. I think he's going to lose um, because uh, the, the, if, if the players were saying we want this out there, mm. um, then then I think it'll be different. I think it'll be very very different. But I think uh, the uh, the tribunal is likely to uh, to not uh, not allow the release of this information uh, for for that as the the main reason. There'll be there'll be a whole stack of reasons, but I think that is likely to be the uh, you know the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of Bruce Francis's case. Mm. I love the government-run conspiracies. It ends up there's about uh, forty-eight villains, and no one can prove anything. Exactly. Spot on, Scoop. Hey, uh, Quilly, always great to talk to you, mate. We know you, you'd be going flat stick today, so thanks for uh, peeling off 10 or 15 minutes to, to run us through the latest, mate. We appreciate it. My pleasure, boys. Have a good day.